Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney from Hebraic Heritage Ministries and we welcome you to today's teaching. Today we're going to be sharing with you on the topic of God's prophetic time clock. And in doing so, we're going to answer the question, are we the final generation? And so to begin with, I want to share with you a biblical principle of time. And that is that biblical history is prophecy. So let's share with you some scriptures regarding that principle. And we're going to begin in Isaiah in chapter 46 and verses 9 through 11 where it is written, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. So, in the God of Israel making the claim that there's nobody like him, what is the context of that statement here in Isaiah chapter 46? Well, it is the following in verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel, that is declaring the end from the beginning, shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So there's no one like the God of Israel who can tell you how the end will be in the beginning. So the way he constructed earth history is that at the start of the things that happen on the earth, that is the creation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and through the creation itself, he is going to be prophetically telling you about the end of day. So, continuing in Isaiah chapter 46, and verse 11, at the end of the verse, it says, I have spoken it when in the beginning, and I will bring it to pass when in the end. I have purposed it when in the beginning. I will also do it when in the end. So next, we are going to look at Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes... Chapter 1, in verse 9, it is written, The thing that has been, that is history, is that which shall be, that is the future. And that which is done, is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Then in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 3, in verse 15, it is written, that which has been, that is the past, is now. And that which is to be, that is the future, has already been, that is the past. For God requires, that is in the future, that which is past. You know, we even have a saying that says, history repeats itself. And biblically speaking, that is the case. So now, based upon the principle that biblical history is prophecy, and that the God of Israel purposed and planned the creation in, of the heavens and the earth, 
in the way in which life would happen in the earth from the creation, we're going to start with the seven days of creation that's found in Genesis chapter 1 that continues to Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. And the first thing we're going to see in looking at creation is to ask and answer the question, who created the heavens and the earth? And for that answer, we're going to look at John in chapter 1. We're going to read the first three verses. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So the subject is the Word. Who is the Word? It is Yeshua the Messiah. In Revelation, in chapter 19 and verse 13, describing Yeshua at His second coming, it says, He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and His name is called the Word of God. And it goes on to say in verse 16, He has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Yeshua is the Word of God. And now in John chapter 1 verse 3, this is what's said about the Word of God. All things were made by Him. That is the Word of God. And without Him, the Word of God was not anything made that was made. And then in John chapter 1 verse 10, He was in the world, that is Yeshua, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. So who was in the world that the world didn't recognize Him for who he is, yet He made the world. That is Yeshua the Messiah. So Yeshua the Messiah created the heavens and the earth, and we see how He did it in Genesis chapter 1. With His words, He spoke the world into existence. We can see this in Psalm in chapter 33. Verses 6 through 9. Psalm chapter 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breadth of his mouth. And it says in verse 9, For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And so in the creation of the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1 into Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 we see that Yeshua created the heavens and the earth over seven days. And now the creation is prophetic because the duration of time for the earth and man being in the earth is 7,000 years. That each day in creation from Adam and Eve being in the Garden of Eden is 1,000 years of time. And so in the creation that man being in this earth 
he's going to be here for a prophetic week, a week of creation. And so even as Yeshua and created the heavens and the earth, that he worked for six days, he was creating the heavens and the earth in six days, that on the seventh day, Yeshua rested from his work and from his creation in Genesis chapter 2 in verses 1 through 3. So, even so, the earth is going to labor from Adam and Eve being in the garden for six days or 6,000 years of time. And then the earth is going to have a Sabbath rest for one day or 1,000 years of time. So, we can see the principle that each day in creation represents a thousand years in Psalm in chapter 90 and verse 4. Psalm chapter 90 verse 4 says, For a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. So, in this verse... A thousand years is compared to yesterday or a day. And that verse, Psalm chapter 90 verse 4, is quoted in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 as it is written. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Don't be ignorant that one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And so after making the statement that we are not to be ignorant that one day is is likened to a thousand years. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, but the day of the Lord. So how long is the prophetic day of the Lord of creation? It is a thousand years. And so we have it established in the beginning in creation when Yeshua created the heavens and the earth that from Adam and Eve being put in the Garden of Eden, that the duration of time is going to be a prophetic week. That the earth is going to labor from what? From the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden for six days or 6,000 years. Then it was prophesied in creation that the earth is going to have a Sabbath. It is going to rest for a thousand years. And so then, we are going to see that that last 1,000 years is the prophetic Sabbath of creation. It is known as the day of the Lord. In Isaiah, in chapter 58, we can see that the Sabbath is called the day of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13. If you will turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable. So Isaiah 58 verse 13 calls the Sabbath my holy day. 
it calls the Sabbath the Holy of the Lord. And so the Sabbath is the day of the Lord. Well, who is the Lord? It is Yeshua, the Messiah. Because we're told in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 and verse 3, at the end of the verse, that no man can say Yeshua is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. So Yeshua is Lord. In Revelation, in chapter 19 and verse 13, we see that Yeshua is called the Word of God. And then Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, it says... And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In second, uh, in uh, Philippians, in chapter two, Philippians in chapter two, and verses nine through eleven, it is written, Wherefore God has highly exalted him. And given him, that is Yeshua, a name which is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Yeshua HaMashiach is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so the Sabbath is called the day of the Lord. Yeshua is Lord. So what is his day? What is his day? His day is a thousand years long. His day is when he returns, sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives, and sets up his kingdom where he rules and reigns from Jerusalem teaching the Torah to all nations during the Messianic era. In Isaiah, in chapter 2 and verse 3, it is written, And many people shall go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that is the temple. He will teach us his ways, we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, he will judge among the nations. He will rebuke many people. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So this is speaking of Yeshua's rule and reign in the earth after he sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives. And it says in Revelation in chapter 5 and verse 10 he's made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And so the duration of ruling and reigning with Yeshua on the earth during his kingdom is a thousand years. For we are told 
at the end of Revelation in chapter 20 and verse 4, and they lived and reigned with Messiah a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so the thousand year messianic era is called the day, it's a thousand years long, of the Lord. That is Yeshua the Messiah. It's his day. It's the prophetic Sabbath of creation where Yeshua is going to rule and reign, teaching His Torah to all nations, and there's going to be peace on the earth. The earth is going to experience a Sabbath rest, a 1,000-year Sabbath. And so now, this is the big picture of God's prophetic time clock that it's established in the creation and it's 7,000 years from the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Well, if you look at the chronologies in the book of Genesis, that from Adam to the birth of Abraham was 1,948 years. So, when Abraham was 52 years of age, then the earth was 2,000 years old from the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so then we went 2,000 years from Abraham's life to Yeshua's first coming, and we've gone 2,000 years since Yeshua's first coming. And so we have... From Adam and Eve being in the garden, we have gone right around 6,000 years of time. And so we can see from this bigger outline and this bigger picture that we would be living in the generation that would see Yeshua setting his feet down on the Mount of Olives. Now we're going to look at God's prophetic time clock in another way. We've looked at the big picture from creation that there's a prophetic week. The earth is to labor for six days or 6,000 years and then have a thousand year rest where the Messiah would rule and reign. And now we're going to look at time through the covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the covenant that Yeshua made with his people at Mount Sinai. So we see that Yeshua created the heavens and the earth but in Galatians, in chapter 3 and verse 16, it is written, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says not seeds as of many, but as of one, into your seed, which is Messiah. And so Paul is making a reference to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 7.
where it is written there, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and your seed after you in their generation for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed after you. And so Paul makes the point from Genesis chapter 17 verse 7 that the covenant was made with Abraham and his seed. The seed is Messiah. So it was Yeshua who made covenant with Abraham. And so the covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham went to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob and his family goes to Egypt. And in Egypt, they are in bondage to Egypt and to Pharaoh. And because of their bondage, they cry out unto the God of Israel. And so we're told... In Exodus, in chapter 2, and in verse 23, it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in remembering his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses is called, and he's going to be given a mission to go to Pharaoh and proclaim the words to Pharaoh from the God of Israel, let my people go. And so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2 and see who was it that appeared to Moses at the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3 verse 2, it is written, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. So the English text reads in the King James Version, The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses at the burning bush. And so normally when we read angel, we may think of Gabriel or Michael or one of the other archangels. But the Hebrew word that's translated as angel in this verse is the Hebrew word malak. And malak means a messenger. And so an angel, that is Gabriel or Michael, can be a messenger but not all messengers are angels. If the God of Israel sends you or I to go to perform a certain task on his behalf, then we are sent for that task. We are his messengers. And so then we see here that who appeared to Moses at the burning bush is the messenger of the Lord. Now, let's see what the messenger of the Lord says to Moses. Well, it says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, when Yahweh saw. And so, the messenger of the Lord is called Yahweh. When Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see God, called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. So this messenger 
of the Lord is called Yahweh, and he's called Elohim, or God. And so, then we have the conversation that Moses is having with the messenger of the Lord, having a conversation with Yahweh Elohim, the messenger of the Lord. And so it says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? So what's the name of the messenger of the Lord that appeared to Moses at the burning bush? Well, it says in verse 15, And God, moreover, said to Moses, You shall say unto the children of Israel, Yahweh Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, the Elohim of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And so the name of the messenger of the Lord is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we're told then in Judges, in chapter 2, in verse 1, And an angel of the Lord came from Gilgal to Bohem and said, Once again in Judges chapter 2, verse 1, the Hebrew word translated as angel is messenger. So the messenger of the Lord came from Gilgal to Bohem and said, So this is not God the Father. This is the messenger of of God the Father. And the messenger of Yahweh said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and brought you unto the land which I swore unto your fathers and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And so it was the messenger of the Lord, the messenger of God the Father who made the assertion in Judges chapter 2 verse 1 that he was the one that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. So when he brought them out of Egypt, he brought them to Mount Sinai. And so it was Yeshua then who is addressing Moses on Mount Sinai. And it was Yeshua then who gave the Torah at Mount Sinai and entered into covenant with the people there. Well, what's the name of the people that came to Mount Sinai? It was those who put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost and came out of Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 3, it says, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. So it was the messenger of Yahweh, the messenger of God the Father, who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and is in entering into covenant with them at Mount Sinai. And the name of this people is the house of Jacob. And so ultimately then in the history of the house of Jacob, they go into the promised land 
and ultimately King David rules over all 12 tribes from Jerusalem. When he does, it is said that, Jer that King David ruled from Zion. Zion and Jerusalem are synonymous terms in the Bible. Then following the days of David and Solomon, the kingdom was split into northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And Jeroboam from the tribe of Ephraim was the first king of the northern kingdom. And Rehoboam was the first king of the southern kingdom, the house of Judah, or the Jewish people. And so from the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai, it was specified that if you break my covenant, I'm going to scatter you into the nations of the world. But a promise was made that after scattering you into the nations of the world, that there's going to come a time when your scattering or your exile will end, and I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel. This is outlined in Deuteronomy in chapter 30 and verses 1 through 5, as it is written. And it will come to pass, when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you will call them to mind among all the nations where Yahweh your Elohim has driven you. And you will return unto Yahweh your Elohim, and shall obey His voice according to all that I command you this day. So the return from exile is a return turn to keep the Torah that was given at Mount Sinai. And this Torah is to be kept through the New Covenant. And the New Covenant is the Torah written upon our heart. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 and Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. So that's how it's possible in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 2, that you will return unto the Lord your God and obey His voice according to all that I command you this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. That then the Lord your God will turn your captivity and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any be driven out unto the outermost parts of heaven, from there will Yahweh your Elohim gather you and from there will He fetch you. And Yahweh your Elohim will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed and you will possess it, and he will do you good, and he will multiply you above your fathers. So, in the return from exile in the nations of the world, that you're going to have it above what your forefathers had it. So, the return is going to be associated with Messianic times, the Messianic era, wherein we're told in... Jeremiah in chapter 31 and verse 10, we are told the following. Hear the word of the Lord, O you nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. So the one that scattered Israel is going to be the one that gathers Israel. Well, who scattered Israel? The one who entered into covenant with them at Mount Sinai. Who was that? That was the messenger of Yahweh that appeared to Moses at the burning bush. That's Yeshua the Messiah. And so, Yeshua made covenant 
with his people, the house of Jacob, at Mount Sinai. They broke the covenant and he scattered them into the nations of the world. So there's a promise here, in addition to what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 5, that he who scattered is going to be the one that gathers. And when he gathers, he's going to do so as a shepherd does his flock. Well, Yeshua said in John chapter 10, verse 11 and verse 14, that he is the good shepherd. So, God's prophetic time clock now is not only in accordance to what he established at creation, 7,000 years of time, 6,000 years man is to work, because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. Then there's going to be a thousand-year messianic era. The earth is going to experience a thousand-year Sabbath rest. But now, time is also in accordance to Yeshua's covenant that he made with his people at Mount Sinai, the house of Jacob. And time is going to be according to how long his people are in exile until he returns them back to the land. Because when he returns them back to the land, it is going to be in Messianic times. It's going to be when his people is going to ex um, ex be experiencing their Sabbath rest from being exiled into the nations of the world. And so the end of the exile of his people is going to coincide with the ending of 6,000 years from Adam and Eve in the garden and the beginning of that thousand year Sabbath rest on the earth. And so this is outlined for us in Ezekiel in chapter 4. In Ezekiel in chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, the God of Israel tells Ezekiel, Lie upon your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of your days you shall lay upon it, you shall bear their iniquity. Verse 5, For I have laid upon you the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days. 390 days, so shall you bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. So, the house of Israel here is the northern kingdom. And so, the northern kingdom, because of their disobedience, they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. The Assyrians took the northern kingdom into captivity in three stages. The ultimate and final taking the third stage, historians agree that it took place at 721 B.C. And so here we see through Ezekiel that the God of Israel said that their captivity would be 390 days, and it says in Ezekiel chapter 4 and verse 6, I've appointed you each day for a year. So the duration of the time of their captivity is 390 years. So if we take 721 B.C. and go forward 390 years, we come to 
331 BC. So what happened historically around 331 BC? That is when Alexander the Great of the Greek Empire came and defeated the kingdom that took the northern kingdom into captivity. And so the Greek kingdom defeated the Medo-Persian Empire. And so then um, we see that the designated time of the northern kingdom's captivity was over. But it was based upon a condition. And that condition is that you must repent of your sins and the sins of your forefathers. And so this is outlined for us in Leviticus in chapter 26. In Leviticus chapter 26 in verse 14 it says, If you will not hearken unto me, if you will not do all these commandments, then it says the following in verse 18. If you will not yet for all these hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And then in verse 21, If you will walk contrary to me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. And then in verse 24, Then will I also walk contrary to you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And then verse 28, Then I will walk contrary to you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And so, it was said four times that I'm going to punish you seven times for your sins. And so, the number four in the Bible represents the world. So, this represents a worldwide exile. See, the northern kingdom was originally just taken into Assyria, but then ultimately when Alexander of the Greek Empire came, then the people were freed from those who originally took them into captivity. Those that originally had jurisdiction over them, they're freed from because somebody else came and captured that kingdom. And so now, at that point in time, there's going to be a court hearing and there's going to be a judgment and determination. Has the northern kingdom repented of their sins and the sins of their forefathers for breaking the covenant at Mount Sinai? Well, the answer is going to be no. Because we can see that this is a condition to repent of your sins and the sins of your forefathers to end your exile. In Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 through 42, where it is written, If they will confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they've walked contrary to me, and that I have walked contrary to them and have brought them unto the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they then accept the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac, also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land.
And so the northern kingdom did not repent of their sins and the sins of their forefathers. So therefore, the God of Israel made a ruling after these 390 years, which was their original sentence to go into captivity, that their punishment would be multiplied by seven. And so that means now the total duration of the exile of the northern kingdom is 390 times 70, 390 times 7, 390 times 7, or 2,730 years. And so then, if we take 721 BC, which was the final captivity of the Northern Kingdom, given that they went into captivity in three stages, and then if we go forward, 2,730 years, we have basically the year 2009. We land in this generation. Now, the world has not kept a consistent calendar from Adam and Eve till now. So we don't know exactly how many years that we've been from Adam and Eve and their sin in the Garden of Eden. But what we can figure out is that we're coming to the end of 6,000 years and the evidence suggests that we are indeed the generation that will see Yeshua set his feet down on the Mount of Olives. And so um, we can calculate that we have been basically 6,000 years from Adam and Eve in the garden to today and that we've also been 2,730 years since the northern kingdom was initially taken into Assyrian captivity. So the time of the punishment of the northern kingdom for breaking the covenant at Mount Sinai that we are ending that time of judgment. So I covered with you the northern kingdom what about the southern kingdom? Well, the southern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And so we see in Jeremiah in chapter 25 and verse 9 it says, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and a perpetual desolation. So King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is the one who came and took the southern kingdom into captivity. And how long is their exile? Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So their initial time of captivity is 70 years but also they must repent of their sins and the sins of their forefathers. So did they do this? No. So ultimately they were scattered into worldwide captivity. 
And we have seen in modern times that the Jewish people as a nation have partially returned to the land. Roughly today, one half of the Jews who live in the world are now living in the land of Israel. And the current state of Israel was established in 1948. And so... The house of Judah, the Jewish people, have partially returned, but they have not fully returned. And so then I'm going to share with you what Yeshua said when he was asked by his disciples in Matthew in chapter 24 and verse 3. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came on him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? What they're asking him is, how do we know when we come to the end of 6,000 years? What is the sign that we're going to be looking for? Wherein we're going to begin the thousand year messianic era. And so ultimately what he told them was the following. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. Then he says in Matthew 24... And verse 34, Verily I say to you, this generation will not pass to all these things be fulfilled. What generation? The generation that sees the fig tree blossom. Well, who is the fig tree? The fig tree is the nation of Israel. It says in Hosea in chapter 9, in verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first stripe in the fig tree. And then he also spoke to the southern kingdom, the house of Judah, using the analogy of the fig tree. And so we see this in Jeremiah in chapter 24, verse 1 says, The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. So the setting is the house of Judah being taken into Babylonian captivity, and the Lord is showing these two baskets of figs. And in Jeremiah 24 verse 2 it says, One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. And so it says in verse 3, then said the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs. The good figs, very good. And the evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of Chaldees for their good. 
and I will give them a heart to know me, in verse 7, that I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, and they shall return unto me with all their heart. And the evil figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Surely this, says the Lord, so will I give Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and his princes, and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land, and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. And so, a fig tree... And good figs and bad figs is given as an association to the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, who are in Babylonian captivity. So Yeshua said, learn a parable of the fig tree, and this generation will not pass till all these things come to pass. And so... Yeshua is talking about the generation that sees the fig tree blossom. And so, the modern state of Israel was born on May the 14th, 1948. So, we have God's prophetic time clock according to creation, 7,000 years. And then His time clock is according to His covenant relationship with His people that He made at Mount Sinai in their exile and then the end of their exile when they return to the land. The northern kingdom, 2,730 years. The southern kingdom, initially 70 years into Babylonian captivity. But ultimately, they have partially returned in our times. And the current state of Israel was born on May the 14th, 1948. So, now... We are going to now ask the question, how long is a generation? And so, in order to answer this question, we're going to go to the end of the book of Job. Because our reference point then is the birth of the modern state of Israel. May the 14th, 1948. So... Given that Yeshua made a promise regarding the fig tree in Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, Verily I say to you, this generation will not pass till all these things be fulfilled. In Job chapter 42, and verse 16, it says, And this lived Job a hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. Well, if we do a math calculation here, and given that Job lived to see four generations, and he lived 140 years, and so we're going to take 140 divided by 4, and we have 35 years. So here, we have a biblical definition that a generation can be defined as being 35 years. So we take 1948 plus 35, is 1983, so based upon a 35-year generation, 1983 should have seen the end of the exile of both Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom, and Messiah setting his feet down on the Mount of Olives and setting up his kingdom. Well, that did not happen. So now, we're going to look at a generation as given in Psalm chapter 
95. Psalm 95 verse 10 says, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation, said, it's a people that do err in their heart, they've not known my ways. He's talking about the generation that came out of Egypt, that they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And so those 40 years is called a generation. So if we take 1948 and we add 40 years, we get 1988. And so if we define a generation as being 40 years, then 1998 should have seen the end of the exile of both Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom and the start of the Messianic era. But that did not happen. So we see... In Psalm, in chapter 90, verse 10, how a generation is defined. It says, the days of our years are threescore and ten, or seventy. And so, the lifespan of a generation here is seventy years. So, from here, we can see that we're approaching the end of 70 years from when Israel became a nation. So we need to be watching very carefully about the days and the times in which we're living and see how events of the world take place to see whether we are going to see the end of the exile of Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom and the beginning of the Messianic era and Messiah setting his feet down on the Mount of Olives as we approach the end of these 70 years. But before we look at that a little bit more closely, what we're going to do is given that we've established that the thousand year Messianic era is called the Day of the Lord, I'm going to share with you some signs of the coming of the Day of the Lord. And the first one I'm going to share with you is Joel in chapter 2 and verse 31. It says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible Day of the Lord. Now, the great and terrible Day of the Lord is the Great Tribulation. Now, we're told in creation that evening and morning was the first day. Evening and morning is the second day. So, the day of the Lord, the thousand-year Messianic era, is going to begin in the evening. It's going to begin with darkness. It's going to begin with Great Tribulation. So, a sign of the beginning of the day of the Lord, a sign of the start of the Great Tribulation, is that the moon will turn to blood. Well, recently there's been a lot of publicity that's been given that in the last couple years we've had a tetrad of blood-red moons that happened on biblical feast days, and this is extremely unique, that it's only happened several times in the last 2,000 years, and each time it happened, it is associated with very significant events. It was associated with the destruction of the temple in the first century. It was associated with the Jews being... Uh, kicked out of Spain in 1492. It was associated 
with the birth of the modern state of Israel in 1948. It's associated with the Six-Day War of 1967 and the Jews gaining control of Jerusalem again. So here we're told that the moon turning to blood is a sign that the day of the Lord is coming. We have already witnessed this sign. Now we're going to go to Malachi and chapter 4 and verse 4 which says, Remember the Torah of Moses, my servant. So the subject is to remember the Torah or to follow the Torah. And then it says in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and dreadful day of the Lord. The same phrase that we see in Joel chapter 2 verse 31, that the moon will turn to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now we see before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before the start of the great tribulation, that we're going to see Elijah the prophet and the ministry of Elijah the prophet is a ministry calling for the people of the God of Israel to remember or to follow the Torah. Well, the spirit of the ministry of Elijah is with us in this generation. And we call the movement calling for believers in Yeshua as the Messiah to express their faith in Him, given that they are saved by grace through faith, that they're to love Him and keep His commandments after they've been saved by grace through faith. And loving Him and keeping His commandments means to follow His Torah. And so, the name that we give to this movement calling for believers in Yeshua as the Messiah to love Him and keep His commandments and to follow His Torah as an expression of faith and obedience unto Him and how we live our daily lives, not for our salvation. We call this movement the Messianic movement or it's also called the Hebraic roots of Christianity. Sometimes the terms are interchanged. And so we've seen this movement here just in recent years. So that's a sign of the beginning of the day of the Lord. That's a sign of the beginning of the Great Tribulation. So we have this sign already happening. We've already had the sign of the tetrad of blood red moons. So we're in the generation. We've seen a couple of the signs that are indicators that the day of the Lord is going to arrive. And so what are some other signs of the start of the day of the Lord? of the start of the Great Tribulation and the Messianic Era. Well, we're going to go to Isaiah in chapter 13. This is a prophecy to the last generation regarding Babylon. Isaiah 13 verse 1 says the burden of Babylon. Isaiah 13 verse 6 says how for the day of the Lord is at hand. So there's a prophecy about Babylon and the time setting is the day of the Lord. That it's at hand. That it's near. And regarding the day of the Lord it will come as destruction. The day of the Lord 
which is a term for the thousand-year messianic era, that in creation each day is an evening and a morning. So the thousand-year messianic era begins in the evening. It begins with darkness. It begins with destruction. And the name that we give to the beginning of the messianic era, the beginning of the day of the Lord, is the great tribulation. And so as we are arriving and coming to the start of the great tribulation, there's a prophecy unto Babylon. And the prophecy in Isaiah 13 verse 19 is Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans, shall be is when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So there's a devastating military attack that comes upon the... Babylonian kingdom and this Babylonian kingdom is called the glory of kingdoms and it's a kingdom of the generation that sees Yeshua set his feet down on the Mount of Olives. So who on the earth would this prophecy apply to? It would be to the United States of America and the end time spiritual land of Babylon is called the daughter of Babylon. So we see a prophecy to Babylon in the end of days in Isaiah in chapter 47 verse 1. It says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you will no more be called tender and delicate. So this is not the historical Babylonian kingdom of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's one that is likened to it, that's got the characteristics of it. That's why it's called the daughter of Babylon. So a sign of the start of the day of the Lord, a sign of the start of the great tribulation for the last generation that will see Messiah set his feet down the Mount of Olives is the blood, is the moon will turn to blood. We've seen that sign. And a second sign is that there's going to be the ministry of the spirit of Elijah calling for the people of the God of Israel to express their faith in Yeshua as the Messiah by following his Torah. That is happening. And so we have a third sign here that an end time nation called the daughter of Babylon is going to experience a devastating military attack upon it as we are starting and entering into the day of the Lord, the darkness part of the great of the day of the Lord, or the great tribulation. And so a fourth sign that I want to give you uh, for the start of the day of the Lord, the darkness part of the day of the Lord, the great tribulation, is found in the book of Joel. Now the entire book of Joel is written in the setting of the day of the Lord. And so in Joel chapter 1 verse 15 it says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The same phraseology that is mentioned in Isaiah 13 verse 6 regarding the prophecy unto Babylon, or the daughter of Babylon. That the day of the Lord is at hand, and as destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Same thing it says in Isaiah 13 verse 6. 
So as we're coming to the start of the day of the Lord, the destruction part of the day of the Lord, the great tribulation, it says in Joel, in chapter 3, in verse 2, I will gather all nations and bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the valley of Jehoshaphat is a literal physical place in Jerusalem, but Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges. So he's going to bring the nations into the valley of judgment. And I will plead with them there for my people, for my heritage Israel, who they've scattered among the nations and parted or divided my land. And so then in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 1 it says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes and your spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. The arrival of the day of the Lord. It's coming. Zechariah 14 verse 2, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. It goes on to say that half the city will go into captivity. So a sign of the coming of the day of the Lord is the nations will divide the land of Israel and they will divide the city of Jerusalem. And so we're going to look in more detail regarding this sign and the last generation being 70 years of time. And so now we go to Daniel in chapter 9. And the setting of Daniel chapter 9 is Daniel had been taken captive into Babylon. And he knows the prophecy from Jeremiah 25 that the duration of the Babylonian captivity is 70 years. The northern kingdom had already been taken into Assyrian captivity before the southern kingdom of Babylon was taken in the captivity. So we have the northern kingdom in captivity. Now the southern kingdom in captivity. And Jeremiah knows that the southern kingdom was prophesied to be in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. They're coming to the end of the 70 years. And there's a question, there's a thought that's going through Daniel's mind. And that is, have northern kingdom and southern kingdom experienced the judgment of exile for breaking the covenant at Mount Sinai and is the time of being in exile about to come to an end. So knowing what the Torah requires in Leviticus 26 that you need to pray for your sins and the sins of your forefathers, Daniel does an elaborate prayer beginning in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3 and it continues through verse 15. He prays for his sins and the sins of his forefathers. And in doing so, he prays for the restoration of Jerusalem. Because when the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, was taken into Babylonian captivity, then Jerusalem was taken captive, the temple was destroyed, the temple was taken captive, and then the Jewish people was taken into captivity, and they weren't, as a people living in their land. So you have Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish people in captivity collectively together. And so Daniel then prays for the end of the captivity of Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 9 verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I beseech you, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, the holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are become a reproach to all that are round about us. Verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication and cause your face to shine upon the sanctuary that is desolate 
for the Lord's sake. The sanctuary is the temple. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and behold our desolations and the city, that is Jerusalem, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our own righteousness, but on behalf of your great mercies and your faithfulness to keep covenant. Verse 19, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do, defer not for your sake, O my God, for your city and your people. That's the house of Judah, the Jewish people that are called by your name. And so now Daniel prays for his sins, the sins of his forefathers. He prays for the restoration of Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish people back to the land. And so then the angel Gabriel comes and he then gives a prophecy to Daniel regarding these issues. And the prophecy is a 70 week prophecy. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24. 70 weeks are determined upon your people and upon your holy city. So Daniel is praying in the context of the prophecy that the southern kingdom would be in Babylon for 70 years and then the angel Gabriel come and gives a prophecy regarding that matter, that issue, and said 70 weeks are determined upon your people. So the 70 year Babylonian captivity is and ending it is now linked with the 70 weeks prophecy. And so in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, it says 70 weeks. The Hebrew word is Shavaim. It's the male. Shavaim is the male plural form of the root Shavua. And Shavua means a seven. And because, you sh uh, because Shavua means a seven, you could interpret this prophecy as being 70 times 7 or 490 years. And so the prophecy is from the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, there was a historical Persian king that gave a commandment for the Jewish people to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So from that decree until Messiah is cut off, is 69 weeks. It says Daniel chapter 9 verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. And so 69 weeks. So historically we can make a calculation from a decree of a Persian king until Yeshua was crucified that there was a time lapse of 483 years or 69 prophetic weeks. And so then what we need to understand about this prophecy, it's a dual prophecy. It's a prophecy about ending the exile of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. And it's a prophecy about the work of the Messiah to end the exile of the house of Judah and also to forgive the sins of the people for breaking the covenant and that would come about through Yeshua's death on the tree, him shedding his blood and from him entering into a renewed covenant 
with the house of Israel, northern kingdom, and the house of Judah, southern kingdom, as specified in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, and Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 8, that Messiah would not only shed his blood and provide the forgiveness of sins for breaking the covenant, but ultimately the redemptive work of the Messiah includes ending the exile of northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And so that element of the redemptive work of the Messiah is now left to Yeshua's second coming and that generation that would see his second coming and him setting his feet down on the Mount of Olives. So the 70 week prophecy applies to both his first coming and his second coming. Now we need to communicate to you a very important principle to understand God's prophetic time clock as it relates to us narrowing down that time clock to the final generation and that is what happens to the Messiah happens to Israel what happens to Israel happens to the Messiah so therefore we can see that what happened to Israel is that Yeshua made a covenant with Abraham that was passed to Isaac and Jacob Jacob and his family goes to Egypt and they were there for a number of years and they experienced affliction, persecution, and bondage. And so Yeshua redeemed his people out of Egypt. And in doing so, he was delivering Jacob, who is regarded as the firstborn of the God of Israel. And so in Exodus, in chapter 4, in verse 22, it says, You shall say to Pharaoh, This is the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So that's what happened to Israel. And that was a prophecy of what will happen to the Messiah. We see in Matthew chapter 2 that Yeshua is born in Bethlehem. But when Herod hears about it, he's concerned um, about the fact that it was prophesied that there would be one who would arise, who would be the Messiah, and he would be the king of the Jews, and ultimately, as well as being the king of the Jews, he would be the king of the world. And so, Herod felt threatened, and so therefore he issued a decree that the young babies would be killed. And so, this is when the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and Joseph and gave instruction for them to go to Egypt and to take the baby Yeshua with them until the death of Herod. And so they were there until the death of Herod. And then we see in Matthew chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And he was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And so this is a quote and a reference to Hosea in chapter 11 and verse 1. Hosea 11 verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. So in the literal, Hosea 11 1 not speaking about the Messiah, but Matthew chapter 2 says that that verse was speaking about the Messiah. So how can this be? That is because... That which happens to Israel happens to the Messiah. That which happens to the Messiah happens to Israel. As another example, 
in Isaiah in chapter 53. There's a prophecy there about the servant of the Lord. And so Christians understand and see Isaiah 53 is speaking about the Messiah. And the death of the Messiah on the tree, that he would die and shed his blood to forgive the sins of his people and to forgive the sins of the world. But Judaism likes to argue that Isaiah 53 is not speaking about the Messiah. It's speaking about the nation of Israel, who is the servant of the Lord. And the nation of Israel is a suffering servant of the Lord. So then, Isaiah chapter 42 is a prophecy about the Lord's servant. And Isaiah chapter 42 is quoted of Yeshua in the New Testament. So, the servant of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 42 is the Messiah. But Judaism claims that Isaiah chapter 42, the servant, is Israel. And so is it Israel or is it the Messiah? The answer is it's both. That Jacob is the Lord's servant and the Messiah is the Lord's servant. And what happens to Israel happens to the Messiah. What happens to the Messiah happens to Israel. So therefore, we go back to Daniel chapter 9 in the 70 week prophecy that what historically happened to the Messiah that he was cut off after 69 weeks is a prophecy to the last generation that Jerusalem would be cut off after 69 weeks. But the Hebrew is written in such a way that it can have dual applications. Because in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, 70 weeks, weeks there is the Hebrew word Shavuim, which is the male plural of Shavua, that 70 weeks grammatically in Hebrew can be seen as a collective unit of a 70. So as a collective unit of a 70, it could be interpreted as 70 years. It can be interpreted as 490 years, 70 times 7, but it also, at the same time, can be interpreted as a unit of 70. And so historically, as it relates to Messiah and him dying on the tree, it's 70 times 7. But for the last generation, it's a unit of 70, or it's 70 years. And so, this 70 weeks is regarding ending the captivity of Jerusalem. So, when did Jerusalem go into captivity in modern times? Well, it did so following the events of World War One, where the area that's today the land of Israel was under the control of the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire, but they allied themselves in World War I with the Germans, and so the Ottoman Empire and the Germans lost World War One, and so therefore the area of the Middle East, which we now call the land of Israel, it was under British control called the British Mandate. And so from World War I, the British tried to appease both 
the Jews and the Arabs and they were unsuccessful in making both of them happy. So they decided after around a 30 year period of trying to appease them both, World War I ended in 1917. Uh, 1918 and uh, we have the British gave the issue over to the United Nations to rule on the matter and the UN General Assembly did so on November the 29th 1947 and so on that day the United Nations General Assembly voted that the solution um, to the Jewish-Arab conflict in the Middle East is that there would be a two-state solution. There would be a Jewish state, there would be an Arab state, and Jerusalem would be made an international city. That UN General Assembly vote was to go into effect at the designated day of the end of the British mandate. And that was May the 14th, 1948. That is why on that day, on May the 14th, 1948, the first Prime Minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, declared the independence of the State of Israel. And in the Declaration of Israel's Independence, they said that they were accepting the UN General Assembly vote of November 29, 1947. So in effect, in establishing the modern-day State of Israel, they were making a covenant with the nations. The God of Israel gave instruction in the Torah that when you come to the land that I've given you, see the Jews were scattered in the nations of the world and there was an effort that was initiated in modern times by Theodore Herzl. He wrote the book in the late 1800s, The Jewish State, and it called for the return of the Jewish people to the land. So the Jewish people began returning to the land in the late 1800s and in the early 1900s, and ultimately they were given a state of their own. So it says in Deuteronomy, in chapter 7, and verses 1 and 2, it says, When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land which you shall go to possess, and you've cast out many nations before you, verse 2, When the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them. So, in the return of the Jewish people to the land, they accepted the UN General Assembly vote of November 29, 1947, where that vote which was UN Resolution 181 called for Jerusalem to be an international city. And so when the modern state of Israel agreed to that vote, they entered into a covenant with the United Nations and that covenant said that Jerusalem would be an international city. And so Jerusalem went into modern day captivity. So what is the duration of this captivity of Jerusalem. Well, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 is 70 years. And so the prophecy says 70 weeks. Once again, the word weeks in Hebrew is Shavaim. It's the male plural of Shavua. Well, the female plural of Shavua is Shavuot, which is the Hebrew name for the Feast of Weeks, which in Greek 
is called the Feast of Pentecost. And so the Feast of Weeks occurs once a year. The Feast of Pentecost occurs one time a year. So our unit of measure then in the 70 week prophecy is counting years using the Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks as our measurement. So the Next Shavuot, after the UN General Assembly vote of November 29, 1947, or when Israel became a nation on May the 14th, 1948, was the Shavuot of 1948. So that became year one. So from the Shavuot of 1948 to the Shavuot of 2016, you have 69 weeks. And so what happened after... Shavuot of 2016, but before Shavuot of 2017, the United Nations Security Council on December the 23rd, 2016, that they voted and they said in their vote that East Jerusalem is illegally occupied by Jews who live there and that it is Palestinian territory. They also ruled that there is to be a two-state solution. So in other words, the UN Resolution of December 23, 2016, UN Resolution 2334, was calling for the strengthening of the two-state solution that the UN General Assembly established on November the 29th, 1947. So the strengthening of the November 29th, 1947 UN General Assembly vote came 69 years after the original vote in 1947 and that UN Security Council resolution called for East Jerusalem to be the capital of a future Palestinian state um, given that the Jews they recognize uh, can have the western part of Jerusalem. It called for the dividing of Jerusalem. It called for the cutting off of Jerusalem. So even as Messiah was cut off after 69 weeks and there 69 weeks was 483 years That was a prophecy of what would happen to the Jews in Jerusalem of the last generation that Jerusalem would be cut off after 69 years of the 70-week period that was designated for Jerusalem. And so then next we're going to see from Jeremiah in chapter 29 that the historical 70-year Babylonian captivity is a prophecy of the time of the last generation. 70 years of the last generation in the time of the last generation's captivity regarding Jerusalem. We can see this in Jeremiah chapter 29 And verse 10, For thus says the Lord, After 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. If we do a study on the phrase, I will visit you, it means to end the exile. Because in Genesis, in chapter 
50, Genesis in chapter 50, verse 24, Joseph said to his brethren, I die, God will visit you. What does it mean to visit you? I'm going to bring you out of this land and the land he swear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, uh, Jacob being um, and going forth out of Egypt and ending the captivity in Egypt and going into the promised land, this is the Lord visiting his people. So in Jeremiah 29 verse 10, it says, After 70 years I will visit you. And then it says in verse 12, After 70 years of Babylonian captivity, Then you will call upon me, and you will go and pray to me, and I will hear you. Verse 14, I will be found of you. Who's the me that they're going to be praying for after 70 years? It's going to be the Messiah. And this is a prophecy that when the Jewish people pray for the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah, and it says in Jeremiah 29.13, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all their heart. After 70 years, they're going to be crying out with all their heart for the Messiah, for the coming of the Messiah. And the prophecy says, I will be found of you. The Messiah, even Yeshua HaMashiach, will reveal himself to the Jewish people. After the 70 year captivity of Babylon, which is a prophecy of the 70 year captivity of Jerusalem in the final generation. Because regarding the 70 year captivity in Babylon, it says not only will you go and pray to me and I will hear you and I will be found of you. But Jeremiah 29 verse 14 says, I will turn away your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you. Well, after 70 years, the Jewish people were just in Babylon. They were in one nation. But the prophecy says, after 70 years, I'm going to gather you from all nations. And so, therefore... The fulfillment of the prophecy after 70 years in Babylon, the fulfillment is to the final generation that will see the end of the exile, that will see the Messiah setting his feet down on the Mount of Olives and Messiah setting up his kingdom. And so, um, therefore, this 70 year captivity to Babylon, the modern application of this Babylon is the United Nations. Babylon means to confuse by mixing. Babylon's characteristic is multiculture, multi ethnic diversity. Diversity of culture, diversity of religions, and living together in equality. That is the Babylonian system. That's what the United Nations represents. And so the modern state of Israel um, made a covenant to agree to the UN General Assembly vote of November 29, 1947, where they called for a two-state solution, an Arab state, a Jewish state, and to make Jerusalem an international City, So the modern state of Israel made a covenant with the United Nations or a Babylonian entity. So how long is that captivity to that covenant? How long will Jerusalem, being an international city, um, what's the duration of Jerusalem's modern captivity? It's 70 years.
And so the UN Security Council resolution of December 23rd, 2016, UN Resolution 2334, that not only did it declare the dividing of Jerusalem, Jerusalem being cut off, but in that resolution, they said the final status agreement between the nation of Israel and the Palestinians is to be concluded in the phraseology and the wording was according to the quartet statement of September 21st, 2010. Now the quartet is the United Nations, the European Union, the United States, and Russia, and they are the designated mediators of the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. Their statement of September 21st, 2010 called for a resolution of the conflict in one year. The December 23rd, 2016 UN Security Council resolution called for the dividing of Jerusalem, the cutting off of Jerusalem, and Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 says that he will confirm the covenant with many for one week. So after 69 weeks, Jerusalem's cut off. What happened to the Messiah is a prophecy of what happens to the people of the God of Israel. What happens to Jerusalem, his people's called Jerusalem, his people's called Zion. And so Messiah was cut off after 69 weeks. So... In the last generation, Jerusalem is cut off after 69 years, 69 Shavuot from the covenant being made on November 29, 1947. In that UN Security Council resolution of December 23rd and 2016, it was calling to make strong the two-state solution with Jerusalem being an international city of the UN General Assembly of November 29, 1947. So Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 27, says he will confirm the covenant. The word confirm in Hebrew is gabar, and it means to strengthen something that already exists. So the prophecy is there would be a strengthening of a covenant that already exists and the strengthening of that covenant would be for one week. It would be for one year. That's exactly what the UN Security Council Resolution 2334 designated. And it says that you will make strong the covenant with many. So not only was there a UN Security Council vote, there are 15 members of the UN Security Council, and what they vote then is international law. So not only did they establish as international law a two-state solution, dividing of the land of Israel and the dividing of Jerusalem, they called for the strengthening of the two-state solution of 1947 to be for one year in a was confirmed with many. Well, following the December 23rd, 2016 UN Security Council resolution, there was a meeting of over 70 countries that took place on January the 15th, 2017 in Paris, the Paris Middle East Peace Conference, where they issued a statement where they endorsed and they affirmed their support 
of the vote by the UN Security Council on December the 23rd, 2016 through UN Resolution 2334. So now we have the completion of the covenant that was made strong after 69 years with many, with uh, nations of the world in the designated time of it is for one week or one year. And so then in 2017 is when we're going to come to the end of the 70 year captivity of Jerusalem from the original agreement that the modern state of Israel made with the UN General Assembly when they declared the independence of the state of Israel on May the 14th, 1948. And at the end of that 70 years, we are going to start the day of the Lord. We're going to start the darkness part of the day of the Lord. We're going to start the great tribulation. Because if you continue reading Jeremiah chapter 29, which says after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, you'll call upon the Messiah and the Messiah will reveal himself and I'm going to end your exile. Then it goes on to say in Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7, that it's Jacob's trouble. It says that day is great. It's none like it. What day? The day of the Lord. So Jeremiah 30 is speaking about the day of the Lord. Jeremiah 29 is speaking about the end of the 70 years that precedes the start of the day of the Lord. So in Jeremiah chapter 30, we are told that in verse 10, Fear now thought. Fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for I will save you from afar in your seed from the land of your captivity. Jacob will return. So this is the end of the captivity of Jacob, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, all twelve tribes. Verse 11, I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I scattered you, yet will I not make a full end of you. I will correct you a measure and will not leave you altogether unpunished. And so here, Jacob's trouble is associated with the end of the exile of Jacob, the twelve tribes, both northern kingdom and southern kingdom, and the judgment of the nations. And so, Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7 says, That day is great, it's none like it. What day? The day of the Lord. So, God's prophetic time clock. We have 7,000 years from Adam and Eve in the garden. And as a consequence of their sin, the earth is going to labor for 6 days or 6,000 years. Then it's going to enter into a Sabbath rest. But each day in the Bible begins in the evening and it ends in the morning. So that Sabbath rest is going to start in evening. It's going to start in darkness. It's going to start with destruction. We call the darkness part, the destruction part, the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is only three and a half years. Messiah is going to end the darkness and the breaking of the day. He's going to set his feet down the Mount of Olives and then the rest of the time is day. Day is the Torah. The Torah is called light. And he's going to be teaching the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem. So that's the big picture of God's prophetic time clock. His time clock is according to his covenant that he made with his people. And their punishment for breaking the covenant being exiled in the nations of the world. And so the end of the exile of Jacob, the twelve tribes of Israel, coincides with 
the start of the day of the Lord because it says Jacob in Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 10 he will be in rest he will have Sabbath he will be quiet none will make him afraid so time is according to ending the exile of his people so we see that the 2730 years of the northern kingdom is up and the Jewish people have partially returned but in returning they entered into a covenant which initiated a 70 year captivity of Jerusalem that 70 years is coming to an end in 2017 and then we're going to start the day of rest the thousand year messianic era but that thousand year messianic era begins with great tribulation it, it's Jacob's trouble so what are four major signs that we're going to begin the day of the Lord the darkness part of the day of the Lord the darkness part of the thousand year messianic era or the great tribulation we have the sign of blood red moons that's already happened we have the sign of a call to the ministry of the spirit of Elijah for those that believe in Yeshua as the Messiah to express their faith in him by loving him and keeping his commandments we call that the Hebraic roots of Christianity or sometimes the Messianic movement so we've seen that sign and then we're seeing the sign of the decree by the nations to divide the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem the decree to do so happened on December the 23rd 2016 through UN Security Council resolution 2334 and a sign that has not yet happened is as we're approaching the start of the day of the Lord that an end time nation called in the scriptures the daughter of Babylon has a devastating military attack upon it and from that military attack that's outlined in Isaiah in chapter 13 we're told in Isaiah chapter 14 verse 1 for the Lord will have mercy on Jacob he will choose Israel and set them into their own land so when this judgment and this military attack comes upon this daughter of Babylon end time nation which I believe is the United States of America then Jacob's to return to the land Jacob's going to end his exile and so then if we focus in on the last generation it's 70 years and there's the restoration of Jerusalem after those 70 years so if we establish the captivity of Jerusalem was from the UN General Assembly vote of November 29, 1947 2017 is the end of the 70 years and so um, I'd like to share with you another significance of 2017 is from the effort that was initiated by Theodore Herzl when he wrote the Jewish state in the late 1800s for the Jewish people to have a homeland they organized the first Zionist Congress in Basel Switzerland in 1897 so from 1897 to 2017 is 120 years so that movement did not bring the Messiah in the end of the exile of the Jewish people although it brought a movement for the Jewish people to return to their homeland and so uh, this is going to be associated with Genesis in chapter 6 and verse 3 
where it says, The Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man, for he is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And so, in Ezekiel 37, there's a prophecy about the dry bones. And there's a twofold return of the dry bones. Ezekiel 37 and verse 11. In Ezekiel chapter 37, in verse 11, it says, Those bones are the whole house of Israel. It's Jacob. It's all 12 tribes. So there's a two-stage return. One is the bones come to life. They have flesh and bones, but there's no spirit in them. That's the physical return that we've seen in our lifetimes. The physical return is from 1897, um, from the first Zionist Congress. There's 120 years is the duration of time of that physical return. It ends in 2017. And so then in that process of the Jewish people to have a homeland, the British, after they won World War I, made a declaration to help to establish a homeland for the Jewish people. This is called the Belfour Declaration. And so it was November the 2nd, 1917. So from that declaration to 2017 is 100 years. And so Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Isaac is the child of promise. The end of the exile is the promise. The end of Jerusalem's captivity is the promise. So um, there's a prophecy in Abraham's life that after 100 years the child of promise would be born. So from 1917, 100 years, 2017. So, 2017 is the end of that 100-year period. We've already taught and shared with you that from 1947, 2017 is the end of the 70-year captivity of Jerusalem in the declaration that it be an international city instead of it being designated as the city of the Messiah of Israel and of the world. And so then from 1917, we have a partial return of Jerusalem's captivity in 1967 in the June Six-Day War that the Jewish people recaptured Jerusalem and uh, there was a partial return of its captivity, but Jerusalem is still in dispute. Its status is still in dispute. Jews can't pray up on the Temple Mount. There was a partial return, but not the full um, and of the captivity of Jerusalem and even the Temple Mount. And so now 2017, we come to another 50-year period. So 2017 is the end of the 120 from the First Zionist Congress, 100 years from the Belfort Declaration, 70 years from the 1947 UN General Assembly vote, which called for Jerusalem to be an international city. And it's 50 years from the June 67 war when the Jews recaptured Jerusalem. So 2017 is a significant year on God's prophetic time clock. It seems that it's quite possible that we will be starting the Great Tribulation and the Day of the Lord sometime after 2017. So I pray that this teaching has helped you to understand God's prophetic time clock and it allows you to understand better why 
we believe that we are living in the final generation, the generation that will see the end of the exile of Jacob and the generation that will see Messiah set his feet down on the Mount of Olives and for him to set up his kingdom. Now, uh, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 62 that he has set watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. So this is a teaching um, of a watchman report uh, regarding God's prophetic time clock and Jerusalem. And in Isaiah chapter 62, it says in verse 7, Give him no rest till he establish until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And then it says in Psalm 122 and verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They will prosper that Love thee. What is praying for the peace of Jerusalem? It's praying for the end of the captivity of Jerusalem. It's praying for the end of the exile of Jerusalem. The end of the exile of the twelve tribes of Israel. It's a prayer for the coming of the Messiah and for him setting up his messianic kingdom and for him ruling and reigning on the earth and the earth having a Sabbath rest. So, as it says in Revelation chapter... 22, even so come Lord Yeshua. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.